0: freedom 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 over fame freedom over f- cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives I am your host Bruce Anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch at Unsolicited underscore Perspectives, on Twitter and TikTok at Unsolicited underscore PER. Watch us live every Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Our audience continues to grow with each and every episode. And I humbly thank you. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing Katherine Zorb. She's an actress, vocalist, and creative director of a theater production company. But first things first. <laughs> Now I've known Catherine for a couple of years, and I've always known that she has a very interesting background. But I didn't know the the, the details of her background. I knew that she was an actress, uh, I knew that, uh, that she had done some theater work, and uh, but I never. And I knew she could sing. I didn't realize how well she could sing. But um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot that that. Even though I've known her for a, a while, there wasn't a whole lot to know about her background. So I invited her on the show. I thought that she would be somebody interesting to talk to because I think that she has an interesting and fascinating life. And uh, so I'm looking forward to this interview and I'm looking forward to you guys getting to know her. Uh, But without further ado, without me continuing to ramble, let's get to the interview. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Catherine Zorb. She's a vocalist. She's an actress. She's a thespian. Welcome to the show. I'm happy that you came in today.
1: It's great to be had, Bruce. It's always great to hang out with you. And I'm uh, glad to chat about some theater fluffy stuff.
0: (laughs) We're going to chat about you. That's the most important thing. You are the star of today's show. So, Catherine, you're being introduced to our audience for the very first time. Maybe you can give us a little, little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, where were your interests growing up, and then we'll get into all of your great artistic work.
1: Yeah, so um, I grew up primarily in central Pennsylvania, just outside of Harrisburg, but a lot of my family is from the Midwest, so a lot of people who meet me are like, you have to be from the Midwest, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of my family's from Minnesota and Iowa and Nebraska, so I feel like I uh, tend to take on a lot of those very Midwestern wasp qualities, mm-hmm. but um, in central Pennsylvania, it was... Um, Yeah, my parents were always really supportive and taking us to museums and the theater, very uh, middle income, and the same vacations every year, which I found were really stabilizing to get Mm -hmm. kind of basic, work hard, uh, work ethic, and um, my grandparents were also just very much like that, you know, be good people, be kind,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and work hard. And uh, artistically, um, I would say that both of my parents were involved in music and in band, but neither of them are professional musicians. My dad actually, though, worked for 25 years in broadcast journalism. Okay. So I feel like that's where I get a lot of my uh, acting flair. Uh, okay. You say. So um, that was always fun to go to take your daughter to work day and see on the set of the TV station and go on the the weather chroma key and all that stuff. So that was definitely formative.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, So I guess you can say it was kind of your, because you have a diverse background as far as your arts, right? Like not only are you a thespian, not only are you a vocalist. And and when I say a vocalist, y'all, this is not just singing in the shower, like Miss Ma'am is a full soprano. And I'm not talking about Tony (laughs) sopranos, we're talking about vocally. Like I've, I've seen recordings is dope as hell. So like, I would, I guess it's easy, it's it's clear to say that your parents definitely influenced because you grew up in that type of household, just an artistic household.
1: For sure. It was when I was in first grade, it was like, okay, let's start some piano lessons. It's important to learn how to read music and music is a big joy in life. So my parents never pushed me to say, oh, you need to do this professionally or need to keep doing this. But they they have always found music as a form of joy and uh, an enriching part of life. So music, I would say was the first love. Uh, Starting to play piano and then I, in fourth grade started playing cello. Um, And then I I still play my cello, but definitely you find what you're best at and you try Mm -hmm. not to spread yourself too thin uh, with all the different stuff. But it's a a balance of keeping things fresh, but also cultivating what you really find you excel in, which I found was singing.
0: Hmm. So I have an interesting question. Like, so my dad is a musician. Like his claim to fame that he was in a band when I was born and he <laughs> legitimately can play all types of instruments and he can sing. And that kind of skipped me. And hmm. not because it was pushed on me, but maybe a little bit like, Here, don't you know, play an instrument or you could sing. Why don't you sing in the choir? And I was like, I don't want to do all this stuff. So was there any point? Where your parents, because they're signing you up for music, were you asking or were they like, here, you need to go ahead and and try this out? And was there a point where you're just like, I don't want to do this?
1: That's a great question. Not to make it about you, Bruce, but do you you have siblings? And if you do, where do you fall in the lineup?
0: I'm the oldest. Uh, Uh My (laughs) sister is the is the musical one she's the she's the voice my brother will claim that he's the voice but he was just in the choir uh i can't (laughs) sing anymore but yeah no i think my sister plays the piano and the guitar my dad plays a a whole bunch of instruments but okay so you said aha what does the oldest in your mind have to do with
1: well, I wonder. You know, it's just a theory. Obviously, my sample size is small, but uh-huh. uh, my—I have an older sister. She's about six years older than me. So, growing up, especially because she was so much older, she did piano. She did voice. So, and I was a, I was a pretty easygoing kid. You mm-hmm. know, my mom would say, "Go up for a timeout," and I'd be like, "All right." Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't super stubborn about. Uh, things like that. But my sister is quite stubborn. And if she's listening, you know, it's true. (laughs) Um, So, but she absolutely excelled in music, but was a little bit more stubborn. I would Mm. say in terms of like time to practice, like now. (laughs) And I was pretty much, uh, I just adored her. Well, adore currently. I still adore my sister, but Mm -hmm. especially being so much younger, adored her and wanted to do anything she did. So it just, when my parents were like, oh, time to take piano. I was like, oh yes, of course it is. Um, then I can do things with my sister, or show her, and look for her love and approval. You know all the oh,
0: little sister okay. things. So obviously, you grew up in a household with music because of your parents, but maybe your influence was absolutely wanting to be like your older sister. Totally. Okay, that's that's really interesting. So w- with all of these different art forms that that you different. Instruments that you know how to play. I'm sure you're not solely a soprano that you could do different uh, octaves when you sing. Like, how did all of these things intersect in your creative journey? Like, when did you get to the point that you were like, okay, I don't like this instrument. I like this instrument. Or I don't like singing this way. I like singing this way.
1: What a good, that's such a thoughtful question. I would say um, probably... Towards the end of high school, it became clear in terms of at least, not like you really have to choose 100%, but I I found that I excelled more in voice than in cello, say, Mm -hmm. and I just enjoyed that process more because it's it's a lot of work. And if you uh, start to... Uh, begrudge the work then it's tough to excel i think mm-hmm. so yeah. i would begrudge a little bit more work on the cello right. and i liked the work of uh being a vocalist and the singing um and and cello especially i didn't really like to play by myself i loved i loved playing in orchestra and in quartets and mm-hmm. stuff like that but singing i can do it by myself i can do it with one person two people hundred people it that didn't matter so um yeah, I would say later in high school it became clear what I was best at. And then in college, it was a matter of what do I want to keep up with to honestly have as a skill on my resume, right? Because mm-hmm. as an actor, sometimes I go into a rehearsal, or I'm sorry, into I go into an audition room and they say, Do you play any instruments? And I go, Ah, yes, I play X, Y, Z and I do A, B, C. Um, so it's it's my job to keep things Fresh, but I okay. don't necessarily have to be excellent in everything that's on my resume, but I do need to be honest right. about what's on my resume. Well, um, but yeah. yeah, so I, and I would, in terms of singing, really as I've gotten older now in my 30s, um, I used to be pretty snotty, like, well, I don't sing belty stuff, blah, blah, blah. But now, as you, because actually you're in your vocal prime in your 30s. Oh, I didn't um, know that. In terms of, hormones and aging and all that kind of stuff. And I found that I'm getting a little bit better at that mid-range belt and also still keeping my um, really high, beautiful soaring notes as well. So I've gotten more confident doing some more musical theater type style without feeling like I'm compromising uh, my vocal health. I I feel a little bit more confident in exploring different genres and Mm -hmm. settling in.
0: So is it safe to say that you liked playing instruments, but you're in love with singing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you you said you brought up college. Uh, for those people that don't know, Catherine's got a BA in theater and music from the University of Pittsburgh. How did so college? Pitt. Oh goodness, Pitt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maryland. Maryland doesn't play Pitt too often, so I don't have anything negative to say about that. Um, how did college? How did your college education shape your artistic pursuits and prepare you for the professional world? You talked a little bit about how you had to pick and choose what you were going to specialize in. Obviously, you specialized and you got your BA in theater and music, but you also needed to keep those things on your resume so how did college prepare prepare you for that professional world
1: yeah so um in the arts especially, uh, there are different kinds of degrees you can get. So I got a BA, a Bachelor of Arts, but there's a lot of programs out there where you can get a BFA, which is a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. (laughs) Um, And that's generally, and I'm very, this is speaking broadly, right? Every program is different, but a BFA is generally a little bit more intensive. Um, You pick a specific discipline as in acting or singing or this, and it's a little tougher to combine them. Again, I'm not trying to say every BFA is like that. Mm -hmm. It's just broadly speaking. And a BA uh, is a little bit more of a general theater education. So I took classes in um, uh, costume design and I I know how to sew buttons. (laughs) And I would have to do hours in the costume shop or hours in the scenic shop, helping to build sets and working backstage as well as on stage. So it was a little bit more well-rounded, which for me and my... Uh, learning is what I wanted. Sometimes it's better for people to be more specific and they need that structure of a BFA. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I found that I was always pretty independent uh, all through high school, even Um, a sidebar. I was always going to be forever grateful that my parents signed me out of having to take physics or calculus. (laughs) I always... (laughs) I really struggled I struggled so much with math and I tried so hard and I worked hard and had tutors and all kinds of things but and I didn't need those credits but I wanted to take honors humanities and Mm. other other classes I wanted to do an internship and um yeah I, I know my parents were like well do you think she'll need it but I'm just so grateful that you know I did the basic math things, <laughs> and, a, and they let me do what I was passionate about. So I was right. always better at—I was pretty good at planning things I knew I wanted to do.
0: Okay, see, so the as a PA person, was good for me. As a person who, you know, studied to be a teacher and has his degree in, in secondary education, I can realistically say there is no reason for physics and calculus. <laughs> Not unless you're going to yeah. be an engineer or a scientist. Right. There's, there, you do need the basic math, but physics and calculus. First of all, I don't even know why they have physics in high school. I didn't take physics until I got to college. Uh, I I did get an A in that. Uh, But but, (laughs) this is not about me. This is about you. So you're in college. And at some point, you study abroad. Is this after you graduate? Or is this while you were in college?
1: So both. Okay. Um, So because I had that BA education, right? Pretty pretty general, learning a lot of of everything, uh, which I really enjoyed. I wanted that BFA experience, something that Mm -hmm. was more of a conservatory that you have your classes totally designed for you, and you're really immersed in uh, something. And I really wanted that experience. I just didn't want four years of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking at study abroad programs because, shocker, my sister studied abroad. So I mm-hmm. knew I had to study abroad. Right. You understand. Yes. <laughs> you understand, of
0: course. So is is this is? I'm going to get a little personal here. So you, you're looking up to your sister. Are you also kind of competing with your sister as well? Is it? Is it? I want to be better than her.
1: Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good question. I would say no because she's she was so much older than me, and she's mm-hmm. so confident in what she ended up doing that it wasn't. Yeah, but I think if maybe we were three years apart, mm-hmm. there would be Constant more age, yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just currently and and then just adore her and her advice and counsel, and I also know when it's like, well, maybe that's I appreciate. The wisdom, but I'm going to do something else. Right. So right. I'm not yeah. a total follower, <laughs> but I knew that she uh, had a, she was good at blazing her own trail. Okay.
0: So she goes. So you decide, yes. I'm going to go. I'm so going to
1: ha- go. I didn't ha- go to the same place though.
0: <laughs> okay. So how does that decision come about of picking where to go?
1: Yeah. So I was looking at different programs that were a little more of that conservatory style, and I found a music program in London. I was like, oh, maybe that would be fun, more music-based. And then I came across this program uh, that was in Arezzo, Italy, which is a uh, city about an hour south of Florence. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And it specialized in a type of theater called commedia dell'arte, which is an Italian masked form of theater. It was very physical. And I knew that I was always very physical. I was a dancer. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I get movement in mm-hmm. this new style. And there was a guy at my college who's maybe, I think, three years older than me. And he studied abroad there. And I was like, hey, how how was it? And he said, it was awesome. So I thought that could be a really cool, different experience that's totally different from what I'm getting at school. Um, and I applied and I got in and was like, OK, I'm, I'm going to Italy for a semester.
0: So you're you're studying Commedia dell'arte, and, and you say it's a mask and physical form of theater. Can you kind of break down when you say physical? Because I'm thinking to myself, how's theater physical? Sports mm. are physical, but how, how can I conceptualize theater being physical. So could you kind of explain, give a little bit more detail about that art form and, and what do you mean by physical?
1: Yeah, so... So this type of theater originated in Renaissance Italy and it's been, uh, you know, these characters, they're based on stock characters, right? Like the principal at the school who everyone's trying to subvert the young lovers, the meddling parents, kind of these classic uh, archetypes that we see in society. Mm -hmm. You know, the person that talks all the time and says nothing like that's a comic, that's a comic archetype. So uh, what makes, these kind of archetypes special, it may be different from watching a rom-com, is that when you wear a mask, it's a heightened version of this archetype. Um, mm. It can be a heightened version of yourself or the thing that you're portraying. And it by putting a mask on your face, it forces you to be specific about where you're looking. So for example, maybe if I'm talking to someone just sitting on the couch, I'm looking over here and I'm looking over there and I'm not very specific. But if you have a mask on your face with a specific kind of a nose or an eyebrow, when your mask looks at something, that's what the audience Possibly looks at. So you mm-hmm. need every movement to be specific, almost like a choreographed dance.
0: Right. Okay. And
1: with this heightened physicality, these characters will have ways that they walk. Maybe they walk from heel to toe or from toe to heel. Maybe when they walk, their leg comes up two feet off the ground, or maybe they have quick steps or slow steps. Um, also, in this type of theater, there are uh, acrobatics involved, somersaults, if you can do cartwheels. Sometimes there's a acro balance that you can do fun balancing things on each other, uh, Oh wow! like a hide and seek game, right? Like let's, let's say I'm the boss at an office and I'm trying to crack down on my lazy employees and I walk out and I bend down to look and somebody's on my back. I'm like, where are they? And then I come mm. up and then they've disappeared. So there's <laughs> a lot of fun games okay. to be had physically. Um, yeah. Does that,
0: is that helpful? <laughs> no, that definitely answers the question. My next question then becomes, I guess, well, I know voice in theater uh, is so much more important than like, watching TV or something like that. But I would assume the inflections of your voice have to be really strong to convey what you're trying to say because you can't say it with facial expressions.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, um, it vocal inflection as well as specificity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What it for, By putting that mask on your face, it forces you to know, because they teach you in basic old acting class, like what's your objective? What do you want in this scene? What's your intention? You know, what are your active verbs? You hear that in a lot of acting classes. And it becomes all the more heightened when you've got this thing on your face and mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. want to look at where you're going. You look and go. So it's, it forces you to be specific about what you want and what you're trying to achieve on stage.
0: Wow, that's really dope because I would assume somebody like me who's always sarcastic, um, but that you can see it on my face. Like if you can't tell the sarcasm mm. in my voice, you can see it in my face. But in this instance, in, in this art form, it has to be clear from my voice because you can't see it in my face. So I would say that that's, Probably a harder form of acting, uh, because you're you're eliminating, not el- yeah, you're eliminating uh, different things you can use to convey emotions. So that's pretty yeah, or
1: really things you're used to using. So when right. you talk about like being sarcastic, I can still be sarcastic, and maybe instead of like you know lifting my eyebrow, I do this with my mm. head so that you can see it in a bigger. It's right. where maybe I have got a thing with my hands and arms that I do instead of something subtle, like how you say it with TV and film. Um, sometimes I'm guilty with, like, I barely do any television work. I was uh, an extra on House of Cards one time, which barely counts. You're like, who no wasn't an extra on House of Cards in the Baltimore GC area? I wasn't. But I, to me, you know, it's, I'm just so I'm just so big and specific that TV and film requires a kind of subtlety mm. that um, is not as what I'm not as well trained in that. And mm-hmm. folks who can do it all, i'm I'm thinking, uh, like Kristen Chenoweth, the people who can do TV, film, stage, all of those things, they can go from big to small to medium. Um, Where sometimes you know, there's some TV stars that they get a gig on Broadway and they're called flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're used to, they're so good at their medium and have practice in their medium. I'm sure if I was slapped on a film, they'd say I was overacting because I'm mm-hmm. used to my medium.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So you're in Italy. What was that experience like outside of, of learning your craft and learning that art form, just living in Italy because you're a young adult. You're an adult because you can vote, right? So you're an adult, but you're a young adult in a foreign country that I'm going to assume that you've never been to before. Right. So what was that experience just living there in Italy? Were there any obstacles or challenges that you had to overcome while living there?
1: Yeah. Uh, So I was there um, as an undergraduate. So I was 20, um, turning 21. And then I went back for about a month long program. Uh, in 2018 to Mm -hmm. study with uh, it's called a maestro m-a-e-s-t-r-o um antonio fava to study under him so comparing the two you know going i don't know how old what was i then 28 something like that late 20s right Mm -hmm. um so being 20 versus let's say 28 uh it was really quite different being an adult and a grown person. Also, when I was 20, um, the program, everything was in English. We took Italian, but, you know, our teachers all taught in English um, and everybody was an American student. Mm -hmm. So there was that um, support system and a little bit more comfortability being an undergraduate and with that uh, cohort of people. So to have that support, you felt more... Um, and, and the week weeks were rigorous, so being able to go and travel throughout Italy was important on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, then in twenty eighteen, there I, I think it was a it was a group of forty or fifty folks, and there maybe only four Americans. Mm-hmm. So that I would say was more challenging because um, it was you know Spaniards, Argentinians, Italians, folks from the French, uh, somebody from. Uh, Turkey. So that was kind of all over. So a lot of folks would speak in English, but a lot of my friends were Italian and I would want to go out to lunch with them. And I had studied Italian before I went and I knew that the classes were primarily in Italian, but then he would translate into English. But it would Mm -hmm. be like, he would talk for 10 minutes in Italian and then for one in English. And I was like, crap, what am I missing? (laughs) The thing I didn't anticipate going back is how exhausting it is uh operating in a second language and it mm. gave me so much more <laughs> appreciation I had never held before for folks as English as their second language being here in America I would get to the end of the day and I would just want to rest but all my roommate you know I'd want to hang out with my roommates who are speaking in Italian I would do my best to stay awake and try to <laughs> take it all in but it was definitely trial by fire that could be a little isolating but luckily everybody mm. was really kind and just glad that as an american you tried to wow and you didn't you it's not like oh great here comes the american into the group now we all have to speak english it was more like all right let's let's try to help catherine along and i would communicate as best as i could um yeah and G- google translate is also wonderful
0: <laughs> google translate is always everybody's best friend in a foreign well, country I know.
1: <laughs> it is so yeah i would say the obstacles definitely language and appreciating the, the physical exhaustion of working through the day and then the mental exhaustion of communication. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say that. And, uh, you know, um, I, I love Europe. I, I also love America. I, I love a yard. I love a big bathroom and a big kitchen. I love a dryer that works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. Do they not have dryers at work in Italy?
1: I mean, no, oh,
0: there are some
1: dryers and it's like five hours to dry your clothes. So you might as well just hang, hang it everything outside. To dry, especially to yeah. think of all the energy and, um, so again, love Europe, adore it, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely American <laughs> in, in terms of the things I enjoy.
0: Right. That makes little sense. The
1: creature comforts. <laughs>
0: So Catherine, you've had an opportunity to work for several theater companies and and various productions. What particular role or production that you've done do you you consider a milestone for your career? And what's memorable about it to you?
1: I would say that one of the biggest milestones right now in my career post-pandemic was I had the pleasure of doing a show called don't laugh or laugh. You probably should laugh. It's called Naked Mole Rat Gets Dressed. And it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm, 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 okay. All right. That, that's interesting. Naked yes. Mole Rat's Dressed.
1: Naked Mole Rat Gets Dressed. Oh, the rock experience.
0: Oh, okay. You got to <laughs> break this one down for me.
1: I've got I got it. I got it. So, <laughs> this is with a really fantastic theater called Imagination Stage, they're in Bethesda. Mm -hmm. And they specialize in children's theater uh, from they have uh, shows for theater for the very young, like little babies up to two or three. And then they've got big, bigger main stage shows uh, for kids. You know, it can be anywhere from two ish to three ish to 10, you know, uh, around there. And um, they're one of the biggest children's theater in town and they not like it's all about awards but they have you know tons of awards and really invest in their people and their production value folks see shows at imagination stage and are like this is children's theater because mm-hmm. it's just big and awesome so i've ever since i moved down here in 2012 uh, imagination stage was one of the first they call it an EPA an equity principal audition so equity is the union, the actor's union, it's Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. There are these big auditions. And as I was non-union, I would sit and wait and wait and wait to be seen by imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, the things you go and you sit all day, hoping that they'll see you and consider you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was back in 2012. So, you know, post, you know what I mean, post-pandemic, COVID's obviously still around. But in terms of, you know, I can work again. So to me... I'm going to say post-pandemic Post pandemic. are open. Let's
0: say back, um, life back somewhat.
1: Yes. Yes. Totally. Exactly. Um, so when I booked this contract with Imagination for you know, 2022 into 2023 is kind of that 10-year mark, right? Like, yes, I've got the I've got this contract at a theater I've always wanted to work at. You know, they pay really well a living wage and I love the director. And the experience was one of the most challenging artistic experiences of my entire life. Um hmm. you which you wouldn't think, right? You think children's theater it should be easy. But it was a musical, and um, you, you of course, you know, you sang, you dance, you act, and we had these costumes on that it's um, because you're a mole rat, and mole mm-hmm. rats have little big paunches, so we basically wore big old fluffy suits, mm-hmm. like think like a 90s fat suit, really. Okay, <laughs> <with> skin <laughs> over them, so you're, you're jumping around on stage, and the conceit because it was the rock experiences they wanted to do naked mole rat as a, uh, m- it's a musical, but with people playing live instruments. So they said to me, Catherine, you play cello. Do you think like, what would you think of puttering around on the electric bass? And I was like, well, uh, how much are we talking here? Cause I'm, mm. I'm happy to, I'm happy to, say yes and talk about possibilities but I, I'm not a b- bass player. <laughs>
0: right. So
1: there's that reality and they're like, well, like it totally depends on people's level and all that stuff. And I thought, okay, and they gave me one to practice ahead of time. I bought a, you know, bass guitar for beginners book and was cuz the strings are different, mm-hmm. the fingerings are different, but it has frets which really hurt your fingers. <laughs> Cello does not have frets. Right. Um so you know, I was practicing, went into rehearsals feeling pretty good and then because everyone was so strong, people were playing drums and guitar and keys and all sorts of things. They were like, well, since you're all so good, we're going to try to play as many songs as we can live. So it was, yeah. So I would say, um, it's probably one of the first times I've cried in the rehearsal room, which Hmm. I don't, um, you know, sometimes sure if I'm like acting or something and it's, I'll cry. But in terms of, Crying in rehearsal because I'm frustrated. I don't. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've always taken critiques really well. I love taking direction. I love trying different things and collaborating. That's one of my specialties. But it was just one of those moments. The choreographer was like, "Okay, start to sway a little bit." And I was like, "I, I don't. I need to look at the music. I-, I don't know where my fingers are going." And I'm trying right. to sing and I'm trying to dance. And I'm trying to act. And it was like, Phew. so. It and was I, really a turning point. Oh, sorry.
0: No, that's okay. I, I'm curious because you said you guys are wearing these big puffy costumes when you perform it live. Obviously, you have to be practicing in these big costumes just to get used to playing the instrument that, by the way, you had never played before, right? Right. <laughs> and, and you're going to be doing this live and a bunch of songs. So I guess all of that bubbling up. Yeah, that would be oh, yeah. pretty frustrating.
1: Oh yeah, yep. So, but I had a good cry, and then I just went home and worked my worked my buns off. And my, my husband was like, well, what can we do? Like, who can who can we hire to help you?" I was like, "No, Jesus, you know, no, <laughs> no one can help me because in these shows, because they're only about an hour. The rehearsal process is only about two weeks before you go into what's called tech when you add in all the technical elements." So. Okay. Playing this instrument, uh, I think it ended up being like three or four songs, and maybe there were like six songs in the whole show, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, memorized. And I thought maybe it'd be like, oh, let's pick up the things, play a little bit, and put them back down. uh, With the choreography, like doing a great vine as you're playing. So I would would rehearse eight hours a day, and I would come home and keep practicing. Because it's – this is my own issue, but like that excellence standard. You know, like I – pride myself on the things I'm good at, at being excellent. And I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't accept anything less (laughs) when I'm in that. So it was, it was extraordinarily stressful, but let me tell you, um, I know that that all sounds just like harmful and abusive, but it's not, (laughs) I, you know, kept with the contract. But what I mean to say is with that hard work, thinking back to like my grandparents and my parents, just, I won't, give up. Sometimes I wasn't always the one with the raw talent in the room, but I worked so hard that mm. I became the best mm-hmm. in a, whatever situation it might have been. Um, well, you know, auditioning for state chorus in high school, like maybe someone was a better singer, but they didn't practice the songs.
0: So, <laughs> Wait a minute, what? They just well, didn't come <laughs> in there?
1: Like the, the audition songs that someone might have been great and like technically sounded better than me, but they didn't do the work. So that yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's the sidebar. I bit, I did it. I felt like I was in a rock band, even mm-hmm. in a big old puffy suit. And it was awesome. And uh, we actually, in the D.C. area, we have something called the Helen Hayes Awards, which is like the uh, Washington, D.C. Tonys, if you, okay. if you will. And um, that this, this coming Monday, and Naked Mole Rat were nominated for Best, uh, not Best, I think they call it Outstanding, like outstanding children's theater, our director is nominated for best director, and then we're also nominated for best musical alongside theaters like only and signature. So with the with the big kids, right? Okay. So this little children's theater show uh, is got got a lot of attention because we all rocked it and crushed it. So that that to me, I'm like, that is I did it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> did that's this a, thing
1: that seemed impossible you, and it a, feels so good
0: that's a hell of an accomplishment hey, i'm just thinking of like all the things that you it, it, it's almost a culmination of everything that you've ever trained for all of these different th- all these different forms art you forms that you did and you, it all came together and then as it's all coming together as this final performance not your final performance in, in, in your finest performance mm-hmm. they throw in oh yeah we want you to learn a new instrument that's, that's dope. And you did it. So yes, that would be memorable. And thank you for sharing that with us. That, uh, that should be a motivation for anybody out there. I I always talk about.
1: Oh, and I also like in terms of keeping up with cello, like if I didn't just tootle around on it every once in a while, you know, just that kind of casual keeping up with skills. I will never take that for granted. Ever
0: again. Like you said, that's what you were doing to make sure that what you said on your resume was r- remained valid. So that 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 is something that you picked up from your family that work hard. Of, hey, this is what I say I am. I'm going to maintain that this is who I am. So, yes, you yeah. should pat yourself on the back and even give yourself a little tiara like that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you in performing, but you're also a co-artistic director of Faction of Fools Theater Company. Um, tell us a little my bit pride about and that. joy. That's your pride <laughs> and joy. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so Faction of Fools um, uh, became started doing shows in the D.C. area around 2010, 2011. And that's about when I studied abroad for the first time when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back and one of my girlfriends uh, who went to UMBC, so in the general area said, Hey, you know, there's a Commedia Del Arte company in town. And I was like, are you kidding me? I I just, I just studied in that. And I knew I wanted to move to DC after I graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was always my goal to work with them. And my first show with Faction was in 2015 and I knew I met my people, Mm -hmm. Uh, just good, great, awesome folks. So I've been doing shows with them And then uh, my, I call her my work wife, Francesca. Francesca and I uh, took over the company in 2020 um, as co-artistic directors. And uh, we kind of do everything. And every year we just grow more and more and more, which is really exciting. Uh, So it's also brings, cause I, I in, um, in college, I liked studying things like stage management and mm-hmm. the lighting and the costume. So that is going all into running this company, like creating a budget and um, managing folks and in a production aspect. So we just closed an extraordinarily successful show called love like Tuesday that um, we produced in February and March of this year, 2023. And, we're just feeling so high from that really successful, and um, yeah, we so Commedia uh, dell'arte uh, is really a, a practice that's steeped in uh, predatory capitalism and uh, white supremacy and mm. like that, those predatory things. And there are some uh, tradi- quote, quote unquote traditions in Commedia like, oh well. You know, the the dumber the zonny, so that's like the, the the worker bees, the the servants, quote unquote. It's like, oh, the dumber the zonny, the bigger the nose. Like, well, maybe that doesn't maybe that's not right. good to perpetuate. Like, yeah. oh, the character that's really greedy, let's give him a hooked nose. Like, maybe we shouldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like taking this tradition that obviously has sustained because it's special, but what what would Commedia Del artists do in 2023? And let me tell mm-hmm. you, they wouldn't do what they did all the time. Right. They would be like, yeah. well, what's funny now? Who mm-hmm. can we make fun of now? And what's new and relevant? So our show, Love Like Tuesday, it was a new play. We commissioned a playwright named Doug Robinson, who's incredible. And uh, we did like a 90s inspired rom-com where the lunch lady got the love story. So kind of subverting okay. some of those Uh, expectations that it's not always the young lovers who get the love. Although we love seeing that, but like maybe someone who's 40 can get the love story too. So uh, we're, we're practicing Comedia dell'arte. I mean, truly I think it's like original practices. (laughs) Like how would, well, what would they do now? But of course that there's a lot of um, comedia companies there that you'll see them in more classic original masks from the Renaissance uh, and costumes from the Renaissance area. And, you know, that's if it creates joy and doesn't harm folks, whatever folks want to do. But our shtick is kind of what is Commedia dell'arte now in Washington, D.C., in our time and place and what's funny and what gives people joy now. And let's get rid of the things that are harmful.
0: Okay, so now I have to detour. Uh How is that? (laughs) How is how is. okay? so you're saying it's steeped in all these traditions and you're two females basically running this and kind of changing making it more PC. let's say that let's say making it as an easier word. let's make it say making it more PC
1: I would I would argue that it's making it funnier.
0: Well, I would say that when something is less offensive, it's funnier because if you, hmm. if you're not, if you're not tossing out groups through your humor and you're bringing everybody in, that would naturally be funnier. Yeah. So, but um, how is that one, being received? How's that being received from the more traditionalists?
1: Oh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> like okay. I, I know I love I lovingly don't care, you know, like, yeah. um, I think uh, one of my teachers, he's the founder of Faction of Fools, Matt Wilson. Um, he's he's always been like, hey, what can we do to like mess around? Like, let's let's play. Let's what's possible. Um, I'm not sure what my maestro would think. I feel I'm sure he would have uh, old Italian man opinions about it, but mm-hmm. he would also be like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> so it's. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, I I don't really know enough traditionalists to uh, to care. That's good. Yeah, I was gonna That's say good. that.
0: <laughs> That's like, good.
1: But what I care about, um, what I care about, are my uh, m- my folks that are under my care. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm I'm responsible for their experience and making them making them feel like they're in a brave space that they can. Uh, Collaborate and feel like they can be funny and we can toss out I- ideas and then be like, well, maybe not that one. Let's move on into a different one. So it's it's not about the hunting and the canceling and the being appropriate, because I think it's also important to be inappropriate. But it's about punching up instead of punching down. Yeah.
0: Comedy like, is meant to push boundaries. Totally. We're I know. And there, there's like, a, a line
1: between... Um, so in the last show we did, I played a woman who was in an assisted living facility, and she was one of my favorite characters I've ever played. She's the main character's mom, and I can get away with it because you know my mask is mm-hmm. an older person. And mm-hmm. how do you how do you truthfully and lovingly portray aging without being ageist? Mm. So because there's something funny about aging. Like we're all going to fart more and we're all going to walk, you know, like we're going to walk different and we're going to have aches and pains. And that's funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like life is funny like that, but how do you, uh, yeah. How do you do it truthfully Truthfully, as opposed to just uh, going for a cheap joke?
0: Right. I get it. I get it. Speaking of aches and pains, (laughs) as we transition, you're also a yoga instructor. Uh, that's something that some of you guys may know. Some of you guys may not know. You're also a yoga instructor. How did you first discover yoga? And how has that enhanced your overall well-being as a performer? Because you do very physical uh, work when you're acting. So how does yoga help with that?
1: God, it it has saved me. Mm-hmm. I. It's the only way I can warm up before a show. It grounds me. It connects me with my breath. It connects me with my body so that when my mind wants to wander to what's what do I need to pick up the grocery store after I do this show, <laughs> whatever. Right. Doing that warm up and connecting helps keep me from getting injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps give me um, it, 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 it physically um, and I know this is kind of cheesy, but like, and emotionally, right. So that mm-hmm. I'm with what I'm doing right now. Right. Uh, so for sure, you know, those benefits of yoga in terms of s- stretching and strengthening, because a lot of these shows like in naked mole rat, I'm running for a solid hour and singing in a big suit and I'm hot. So it's like a bunch of cardio. Right. <laughs> so what, what things can I do to also help me with uh, s- sustain Mm -hmm. a length of a show um yeah and i i find that teaching brings me a joy that performing can't Mm i love caring for people and i love talking to people i'm i think you'll be shocked to hear i'm an extrovert (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) i would have never Um, guessed (laughs) <laughs> um, so I love I love my students and I, I worked I worked for eight years in restaurants and I, I loved meeting people and talking to them and when I knew now all of my like wine and beer knowledge is replaced with anatomy <laughs> but okay. I would love helping guide people like oh like what can I help pair with this you know and, and use my expertise people who appreciated my expertise mm-hmm. as a server but that was not a good sustainable side hustle. No, (laughs)
0: Because
1: not everybody sees you as being uh, an expert. Like, I'm here to serve you and take you through an experience. Let's have a nice dinner together, kind Mm -hmm. of. uh, Yeah, so that wasn't sustainable, but I find with teaching yoga – 90% of my students do trust me and Mm -hmm. also trust me to know my scope of practice in terms of someone. Because usually, and Bruce, I know you know that for all the reasons people are really concerned to go to the doctor, go to the hospital or get some help. So we're often people's first line of defense and someone they trust being like, hey, like I've been having these feelings or whatever. And it's our job to be like, yeah, you know I'm not a doctor. Time right. to go to one. Yeah, <laughs> so,
0: exactly. So,
1: you know, we're again, I am not a doctor, but I'll tell you when you need to go see one and I'll be like, right. maybe you can try these exercises, but like if it doesn't, you know, get better in 2 weeks or whatever, you need time to go, time to go see someone. And I take that very very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, yeah cuz healthcare's kind of a Hot mess, and we trust people. Whether we call our uh, a parental figure, being like, "Hey, do you think I should do this thing?" Like, I don't know. So, I I love uh, helping people.
0: Yes, yes, and, and and it's all all everything that you do is about helping people. Whether it's performing, right, bringing joy to their lives, or or yoga, helping them improve their lives physically, you're, you're doing both. So, and it's and it's dope how you said that. Uh, Basically, you said yoga keeps you present mm. without saying that those exact words, the, the way you described it is, is yoga. Whenever your mind is rest uh, racing, keeps you present, keeps you in the moment, uh, totally. which is dope. I've tried meditating. I absolutely cannot do it. I will do <laughs> yoga by myself in the comforts of my own home. But it's time to plug your stuff because, ladies and gentlemen, Catherine is a yoga instructor. A damn good one. And she runs a virtual class. Can you break that down for the people out there?
1: Yeah, I call them my yoga pods. I started teaching them, I think, July of 2020. I just reached out to a bunch of my students. I didn't poach them for any of my employers <laughs> out there. It was studios that had closed or students I knew had moved uh, across the country or even just up to Towson or whatever. I was said, you know, hey, do you guys want to do some Zoom yoga or something. And, uh, how does that sound? And everybody really loved it. And people still love it. I have a student who joins from Hawaii and one mm-hmm. from Lake Tahoe. And, you know, my mom comes and my aunt comes and lots of different students. So I I do, kind um, just to keep it going, uh, I'll do like three to four classes a week. Mm-hmm. And people pay me 50 bucks for the month. And that includes four classes. Uh, and they can go to whatever class they want, right? So generally... People like the – like I have a Tuesday at 5 o'clock class. Like somebody Mm -hmm. likes to do that, but they might hop into my Monday at 6.45 because their schedule's different. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So, uh, yeah, every month is a little different um, in terms of if I'm traveling. So it's nice to be able to take a vacation and be like, okay, I'm canceling this week, so this is the cost for the month. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some private students uh, who love – who prefer Zoom, um, which is – uh, neither here nor there for me, right? I love being with my students in person, but I also would rather them do yoga than not do yoga. So
0: exactly. <laughs> Zoom, is, yeah.
1: Zoom is also fine. And if I can't see what someone's doing, I'm like, hey, I can't see that right me? You tell me what it's doing mm-hmm. um, or whatever else. And, and I still i am teaching actually through the summer, a free class at George Mason um, in their plaza or, or the Arlington campus. So that's okay. on like, Mondays at, Five, not today though. So don't. don't
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you're gonna make it today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that resumes after Memorial Day. But so I, I love meeting new. Like forty people come to that one, so it's fun to meet.
0: Wow, that's really people. dope.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, where so- can
0: people get information to find out your classes and and to sign up and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, head to my website, which is com. So K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-Z-O-E-R-B. Um, and then uh, on the, I think, I forget the exact tab, but it's something like, oh, ask me a question. And then that'll go right into my email. And I'm happy to uh, chat and let folks know what the skinny is.
0: So everybody if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching it on YouTube, in the description all this information will be in there, there Catherine's website, so you can go ahead and jump in the descriptions, jump on her website, sign up for some yoga. Trust me, it's worth it. But on that <laughs> note, Catherine, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. I learned I, I learned a lot during all these interviews. But people wonder, like, where do I get these, these interesting people to interview? Well, I've known Catherine now for geez, I think you eight, you nine, did, nine years, my
1: first subbing gigs. Yeah, when I first in like 2014. Yeah. Um, was, I was like, Hey, I think I just hit you up. I was like, Hey, do you need subs? I was very hungry. And you were like, Yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was ba- where was what that apartment. Complex.
0: uh it was in our Ar- our Ar- Nova, Nova, so Arlington, Virginia, Crystal uh, City, Crystal City. It would have been either. I don't want to promote them, right? Now. I know. <laughs> I, don't want, yeah, I don't want to promote those apartment buildings, but uh, no, yeah. Uh, so, so it was really fun learning about your life because I didn't really know all the details or how you became the person that you are. So, for the listening audience and for me, this was really good and pleasurable learning experience, learning about you and, and entertaining. And 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 I would suggest people to actually watch it as well as listen to it, because Catherine is very physical in the way that she answers. So <laughs> you guys think I talk with my hands and move around. Oh, Catherine, no. Catherine was matching me, <laughs> move for move. But, but thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And I feel like I didn't, I don't know if I talked enough about it, but I just wanted to slide in there really quick that, um, I, I've been very blessed and, you know, I work hard and you've given me this opportunity to promote myself and I'm so grateful for that. But I also, I don't think I can emphasize enough how important my family and my friends mm. are. My husband is truly a shining star in oh. my life. We've been together since we were kids, 18, we were going on and off till we finally were like, well, no, we love each other. We're married. So I you know, <laughs> my, pa- I've, I've been not, not everyone has a support network. Uh, mm. So I, I can't take that for granted. And I'm really, really lucky for, with my family and friends and my husband, Jordan and my dog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everything that gives you support helps you grow and, and yeah. be strong. You got to give the shout out. So shout out to totally. Captain's family. And the loved ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Bruce. This was so great.
0: This was really good. Thank you again for showing up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anytime.
0: All right. Once again, I want to thank Catherine for coming on. Uh, I learned more that she has a fascinating, a more fascinating life than I thought. That she did, and some of her experiences and her travels, and just uh, the people that she's interacted with and the things that she's done. It's very interesting. And I thought she's told a, a very, very important story. Me being a former basketball player and coach, uh, growing up in the era of the Allen Iversons and Kobe Bryant, you know, I'm, I'm often asked, like, who was better, Kobe or Allen Iverson? And Allen Iverson will tell you why Kobe was better. Kobe practiced and practiced and practiced. Nobody worked as hard as he did. And when Catherine telling me the story of trying, excelling to a level of excellence in whatever she does and learning that uh, from our family and watching her grandparents and her parents and, and all those people that have helped grow her into the person that she's become. And then you hear her her tell the story of her greatest milestone. And it's learning the electric bass guitar with the, this physical comedy and and it's costumes and and that took a lot of hard work at eight hour practice and then going home and practicing more. That showed you the dedication that it takes to, in order to to be excellent at something. And so if if you guys don't learn anything, learn that pff, you nothing comes without putting in the work. You got to put in the work, and that was I thought that was really cool that that uh, Catherine told that story because that was a prime example of putting in that work and getting what needs to be done done. But uh, like I said, thank you again, Catherine, for coming on the show. Hope you guys uh, learned something. Found her as fascinating as as fascinating as I did. But until next time. I'm a holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, outing 5,000. Peace.